0: Does anybody even know why you're here? Nah. Okay. Okay. They were told there'd be cake right. here. Welcome to
1: Touchpoint, a podcast dedicated to the discussions on digital marketing and digital patient engagement strategies for hospitals, health systems, and physician practices. In this podcast, we'll dive deep into a variety of topics on the digital tools, solutions, strategies, and processes that are impacting our industry today. We hope to share a lot of great information and have a little bit of fun along the way. Now, um, today I'm always joined by my co-host Reed Smith, who is sitting opposite the table of me today. Um, Reed, thanks for being on the podcast. Thanks. can to be here. <laughs> <laughs> and Reed, why don't you uh, why don't you tell a little bit
0: about why this podcast is different than others? It's we are live. Uh as we record it. I guess we're always live as we record it, but we have a live audience as we record it this time. Yes, yes, thank you. So this is the first time we've ever done this, but this is fun. Um, And uh, yeah. And we also have some very special guests. We do have very special guests. Anybody that's listened to previous episodes will probably recognize some of the names. And so why don't we introduce them? Let's start with the person sitting right next to you.
2: Hi, I'm Ahava Liebteg, I'm a content strategist, really sort of passionate about content and helping people make the most important decisions of their lives, which is really what we're all doing in healthcare, and I'm the president of AHA Media Group, we're a content strategy and content marketing consultancy, about 30 people distributed across the United States.
3: Awesome, I'm uh, Ed Bennett, I've been around in this uh, field for about 20 years doing digital programs and digital strategy uh, for hospitals. I was at the University of Maryland up until uh, about this time last year, and now I'm doing consulting.
4: And I'm Brian Gresh. I am the Executive Director of Digital and Content Marketing for the Cleveland Clinic.
5: I'm Matt Gove. I'm the Chief Consumer Officer at Piedmont Healthcare in Atlanta. We're a seven-hospital system that covers most of North Georgia, and we just announced today, actually, we're in talks for our eighth and ninth. Um, so we continue to grow um, in Georgia.
1: Awesome. Well, hey guys, thank you and. Admit, guys in a, in a non-ge- non-gender specific way. Thank you for joining us for the podcast Get today. <laughs> so I, I know. Hey,
4: I, getting, I don't getting know. I can't
0: treat this.
1: Anyway, um, thank you. Uh, you know, earlier, actually yesterday, we were kind of talking about different topics. And, and actually, we started a little thread. Offline, uh, and well, not offline, it was online, but off of like the general public, and just bounced a couple of ideas around. And then we threw it out to the Twitterverse and asked people here at the conference what they wanted to talk about today. What should be the main topic or the theme today? So, um, Reed, do you have, uh, you're looking at the results of our Twitter
0: poll? I don't have the results, but I have the winning topic. Does okay. Count? All right, go ahead. All right. So, today's topic. Consumerism and how marketing or marketing leaders can do a better job of owning experience in their healthcare systems or health systems, mm. hospitals, etc. That's a big Boom. one. Yeah, I definitely um, suggest. So, uh, okay. yeah. So maybe, maybe to kick head us head off, uh, <laughs> the chief consumer officer can define can can define consumerism for us. So how how do you how do you define that in your
5: role? Oh Lord! Uh, I mean, to define consumerism in, in, in healthcare, the, the, in many ways, the way you define it, and, and uh, the way you choose coffee, or uh, where you buy your clothes, or um, which uh, brand of detergent you use. You know, um, when I got into healthcare, gosh, about eight years ago. I've been at Piedmont for five and a half, and, and um, one thing that struck me initially was that we are. Uh, It seems to be the ultimate consumer business in that we touch every single person at some point during their life, um, and yet we don't have any of the tools, nor do we ever present ourselves uh, to consumers in a way that um, is uh, reactive to their needs, really puts them at the center of, of our product, of our offering. And so, for us at Piedmont, I mean, for me personally, healthcare consumerism means making Every decision, be it operational, marketing, experience, um, around what the customer needs from us and not what we need from the customer.
1: Hmm. Okay, that's a, good, that's a pretty good description. How about anyone else on the panel want to?
3: Well, I uh, was very excited to see that question come up because this is something I've cared about for forever since I started working at a hospital and I was part of the marketing, communications and marketing department. Uh, I think the question originally was phrased as, "Should marketing own the patient experience?" Something like that, mm-hmm. and I think that's absolutely the wrong question. It should be, "Should patient experience own what happens in marketing?" Uh, because, Ooh. as marketers, you like that, uh,
2: huh?
5: I think that's
3: actually getting to the point that I, I, I mean, agree with. When you look at marketing. Uh, Just the marketing fundamentals. Everyone in marketing knows that word of mouth, positive word of mouth is the best marketing uh, advertising you can buy. Everybody knows that, right? Even more so in healthcare, right? It's something though that marketing gives lip service to because where do they spend their marketing dollars? Traditional advertising, digital advertising, brand awareness. There's really nothing that the typical marketing department at a hospital does that really truly impacts word of mouth. I think that needs to be flipped so that the focus should be what is the overall patient experience. Marketing has a piece to play in that at the very beginning and at the end. Mm. And then all the stuff that happens in the middle is what's going to influence what that that experience is going to be. If it's done through that lens, then marketing is simply a subset of of what starts the entire patient experience and that's the approach
5: it should be taken. Let me let me add just a quick um, summary to what I just said, and then Brian can hype up. Yeah, because um, I know he will. I'm gonna hype up. But, <laughs> um, we had, and having this argument with an argument's probably too strong. Or having this debate, and ultimately just a conversation with my CEO, my boss, uh, Kevin. Um, the it was always hey, brand, hey, you know, we own brand, blah, blah, blah. That's about marketing always talks about it. Brand is nothing more than the sum of a customer's experiences with your organization. That's it. That's what your brand, is. your brand isn't what you say about yourself, right? Your, band, your brand is how uh, people experience you. And to Ed's point, what they're willing to say about you. And so I think it's a really um, important way of framing it. It's not about who owns who. In this uh, sense, um, experience does report to me, but it's um, that it's a recognition that experience is the thing that matters.
4: So, so I kind of agree and disagree with some of of what you're both saying. So, I think that that marketing has to live through the entire experience because it kind of depends. It depends on how you're defining marketing, um, and as if you're assuming that marketing and the role of marketers has remained static. Then, then I think that that holds true. But I think that our roles as marketers, especially with all of the digital tools and the uh, the evolution of, of content into the equation, I think that it's really forced us to have to look beyond what our traditional roles have been. Mm-hmm. And um, we have to kind of break outside of that box. So if you want to define that as experience, we can define it that way. But um, I think that we have a role to play in all of those touch points mm-hmm. and all of those um, pieces of the journey that that and I, and I I still refer to people as patients I think mm-hmm. that that's important um, I think again we can take we can take the idea of consumerism from from non-healthcare industries mm-hmm. but I think if you ask people how they like to refer to their relationship with a healthcare organization they like to be defined as patients because it makes them unique in that relationship that they have with their care providers um, and it, and being a patient is different than being a consumer. But I think that we have a lot to learn from other industries as it relates to consumerism um, and the way that we treat people.
2: So I actually disagree with all of them. Oh, (laughs) controversy. So I actually think that experience needs to be owned by every single person in the organization, regardless of marketing. Um, If you think about the greatest companies in the world right now, Starbucks is not selling coffee. They're selling a customer experience. The Ritz-Carlton doesn't sell hotel rooms. They sell a customer experience. Disney doesn't sell amusement parks they sell a customer experience and i I just want to tell a a short story that i think really brings this to life i was once in the airport at a starbucks when a two and a half year old or a three-year-old was pitching a fit and this woman came over his mom couldn't control him and she like within 30 seconds got the boy off the floor and like calmed him down and i said to her boyfriend oh is your your girlfriend a teacher and he said no we work at disney and that is what we need to come to. We need to come to a place in our healthcare organizations where every single person wants to deliver the finest possible customer experience that they can deliver. And that even when they're not at work or on duty or you know, on a shift, they're still talking about the place that they work and they're still doing and representing the values of that place. And I think until executives really truly understand that healthcare has to turn into a, a consumer experience, we're going to be arguing about whether marketing like you said who should own nobody should everybody should own it and nobody should own it it should just be a part of the air that everybody breathes
5: well, and and so part of this is just uh, where you sit right mm-hmm. your perspective right. from the seat that you are sitting in currently um we're we're speaking about it functionally um every one of those organizations you mentioned still have people who are responsible for the experience of course. right they have yeah. uh, jobs and executives and and uh, people who, who who promulgate the experience, Disney has an institute that teaches other people the experience, and so I couldn't agree with you more that every individual owns it. It's really more about uh, who um, is setting the strategy for the organization. Where do they put experience in the overall strategy? Do you believe that experience can be the differentiator for your organization, as they have in many respects? And um, what role does does marketing play? Um, being that we're all in the, yeah. in the marketing realm, what role do we play in creating and owning those experiences?
0: So to that point, what role does marketing play? Is
5: marketing at the table? Should be. Brian made a really important point, um, one that I've uh, also been trying to make for years now, which is the when you have patient experience inside of a health system owned by clinical people, they tend to take a, a more narrow focus uh, and create a more narrow definition of what that is. We're usually around the episode of care. A lot of it's checklist based, so that no offense right. to the student or group people, but it's like acknowledge, introduce. And it's like if you have to remind the people that work in your system to say hello to people, um, then they shouldn't be working at your system anymore. Mm-hmm. And so, when you expand the definition of experience to include, the minute people start thinking about it, the search experience, the booking experience, all the other touch points for marketing in many systems, and ours included, own that function. Like online scheduling, that's my jam. Like we, we are the ones who make that happen. And, and that experience, and it is an experience, no, no um, not much different than ordering your Starbucks before you go pick it up at the counter. How do you make that thing uh, delightful and, and unique and um, easy for people that makes a lasting impression?
1: But Matt, you know working in hospitals, and many of us have, and all of us work with hospitals, that when you get when it gets down to the, the patient itself, that term patient, and maybe it's the term patient, that suddenly the, the clinical side of the house feel like they have, a little bit more rite of passage so to speak or a rite of strategy around this because they spend a lot of time and a lot of touches literally and even figuratively with the patients right in 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 this experience and there is a bias that occurs in these organizations around marketing doesn't have enough wherewithal or knowledge or information about the consumer and i think that's one of the challenges that marketing faces in this space now earlier today when I was presenting I was talking about the fact that on the digital side there are people that are usability UX, UI people that, that's their job is to understand users in this case is a, even a, a rougher term about our patients right mm-hmm. but um, why do you think that, um, that the, the, or what are some ways that you guys all of you think that we can start to bust down those barriers and actually be a little bit more informative in the process.
3: Well, I know that when I was managing the the digital team at the uh, Maryland Medical System, uh, we made a point of doing roadshows and reaching out to every department and uh, functional group inside the hospital just to introduce ourselves, talk about what we do, and then bring them in and and talk about what they do, and then we had a nice dialogue about, well, this is how we could assist you with with this, that, or the other thing. Mm -hmm. And it was just constantly doing those roadshows and getting that dialogue started that began to open up a little bit. We started getting phone calls. Instead of somebody saying, we finished the patient portal, we need a logo from you guys, they started bringing us in a little bit earlier. (laughs) And we could weigh in on my charts functionality and mm-hmm. and so forth and uh it's a very slow process but that's the that's the way it has to happen
4: yeah i think also you know to a point that everyone needs to be part of the experience right but i think it's also um being comfortable getting out of your lane right so um whether it's marketing people or clinical people we shouldn't be um worried so much when people get out of their expertise and maybe have a good idea in another area. Right. I mean, um, a lot of what we know, you know, I mean, I'm in the digital space. I talk about user experience, but that's really human experience. It's 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 a lot of the same principles can apply in a lot of other areas. So if if there are areas that we think we can have a positive impact on, you know, we're going to let people know that. And I think it's as you know, if you do it respectfully and you and you create partnerships i think it can have a real real positive impact i think it's when we start to you know when you come in heavy-handed as marketers um and and say that you know you're going to fix everything i mean i can see where clinical people can get very uncomfortable with that because they have important jobs and they you know they've there's a lot of accountability in that space right so they get nervous when when you know unskilled marketers come in and tell them how to how to Patient experience. Well, they can do their damn job,
5: then, yeah. right? But they don't even do my job. I'm not trying
4: to do theirs.
5: I'm, not, I'm, I'm but, not the but, partnership but, guy. But, I mean, with respect I to I that, though, no, what
4: they do. The and, stakes are different, right? I think of that course the it is. stakes are different in clinical care versus. I mean, like, I like to say, there's no such thing as a marketing emergency, you know. And so, <laughs> so we have. There really isn't. There's PR emergencies, right? There's no marketing <laughs> emergencies, and. You know, so so we have that luxury of being able to screw up more. Um, and, and I think that they are naturally risk adverse people. So we have to accept that going in and we have to work and build those partnerships so that we can apply some of the things that we know and, and provide that <laughs> guidance.
2: So I think Brian makes an excellent, excellent point about they are risk-averse, they're trained to think a certain way, and being creative when you're in, you know, an OR is probably not really where they want to be. They're, You know, if they deviate from standard True. medical practice, they get sued. I hear
5: a lot from them. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're not, we we're not, are not. you, is anybody suggesting right now that we get into the clinical space and start telling people where to cut? No. No, no, no. no, no. And so my point is, we can, we can shower flowery language over what clinicians do all day every day Um, but that doesn't minimize the importance of meeting the consumer where they are um, providing them with an experience Mm -hmm. that binds them to the system because we're in many ways if if, particularly if you also own the physician outreach function in your organization so you've got the sales team and you've got the marketing Mm -hmm. team you're ensuring their livelihood They work for your system um, in many cases because they used to work somewhere else by themselves. They got acquired or made a decision, I'm going to go get employed by these people, I like a paycheck. And so we're the ones who are bringing the business to them. It should be be a partnership and it doesn't mean that I am telling them how to do their job clinically, but it also doesn't mean that they are telling me how to deliver the best consumer-centric experience inside of our health system. I think a lot I, of it gets wait, down to... Wait, can it. We, so, I'm sorry. sorry. So yeah. I, just,
2: I just want to finish what I was going to say because I, I agree with you, but that was, it wasn't where I was going with it. Where I was going with it is that my experience with doctors in the field is that if you go in and present data to them and you think the way that they think and you use evidence-based marketing to show them why you want to make the decisions that you want to make and best practices and case studies and you start to throw that stuff on them and you're confident about what you're doing they back down because they're just looking for somebody to show them in the way that they make decisions how we make decisions and I think in a lot of marketing departments unfortunately either they don't have the resources to get the data that they need because they're not resourced properly with technology and tools or they talk about brand awareness which is a really squidgy thing and it's hard to measure and so doctors come back and say well you know if I practice medicine the way you practice marketing everybody I see would be dead and so I trust me I once one of my first jobs I was a a web writer on a project and a world-famous sinus surgeon came into the room and he said to me I wanna know who the web writer is and I like raised my hand meekly and he was like I'm gonna tell you how users use the web if it were me now, 11 years later, I would say to him, no problem, and after this we're gonna go up to the OR and I'm gonna operate on your sciences. Right. So yeah, they wanna tell you what to do, but I think if you approach them where they are and you show them that you're thinking the same way they're thinking, I think that it makes it levels the playing field.
3: And just, and just to bring up a nuts and bolts type of scenario, there are so many things where marketing and design and user experience mm-hmm. can have a positive <coughs> impact on how a practice operates. Mm-hmm whether it's they're dealing with people that don't show up because the literature that was sent out was so poorly formatted that nobody could read it, to signage, to the way they do kind of communications, mm-hmm. there is so much where we can come in and say and, and say tell us what's what's not working inside your practice mm-hmm. and then give them that kind of assistance And uh, that's how you build those types of well, let's talk about that, Ed. Because, and I agree with you on that. <laughs> Partnership,
1: <but laughs> easy now. Have a collaboration. Uh, but let's talk about that because I think that's one thing that we're as an as a healthcare marketing industry we struggle with a lot. Mm-hmm. We're ad- adopting and bringing on more and more tools. And trust me, we you know I talk a lot about CRM and marketing automation and all these ways that you can start to learn and get the voice of customer. And we've had podcasts about voice of customer and the ways to do that. But are we at the point now where we have enough information to really have that true, meaningful insight into our customers, into our patients, into you know, whatever those customers mm-hmm. may be? Do we have those tools?
4: I, I think we have the tools. It just kind of depends on who owns them. right? Mm-hmm. And, so, and, and maybe this is, is too simplistic of an example, but just like 10 years ago, IT owned the, the healthcare website now most organizations, it's it's the marketing department, mm-hmm. right? And this, this came, I, I was in my session earlier, somebody asked that question and like, it's amazing to me that there are still organizations that IT owns the website. And I think it's in a sim, there's a similar kind of trend happening where some of these functions that have traditionally been outside of marketing, what's happening is that marketing is just, for whatever reason, has more access to the tools, they just have a different skill set and a lot of the things that they're doing in these other areas could be applied to financial transactions or to scheduling or to these other functions within the organization. And so it just makes sense to, to align it more with marketing than these other areas that have traditionally been there.
0: Are we relying too much on tools? What do you mean? So are we just, every time we have a deficit, are we trying to find a piece of software to fill that void?
4: Yes. I'll... I'll I'll answer that. Yes, I think we are. Um, I think that there's plenty of tools, and I don't think we need any more tools. Um, I think if we stop, stop the, tool, the tool, I think if we stop the tools today, that we could all function just fine with the tool sets that we have, um, and that the shiny object syndrome of jumping from one tool to the other is what I think sometimes takes us off the the focus of what we really should be doing. Um, I think there's a lot of opportunity outside of the tools within all of our organizations to make small incremental changes that could make those tools 10 times more effective. Um, but I think we're so caught up sometimes in the technology that we don't, we don't look at the offline stuff.
2: I agree with Brian. I think the marketing tech stack is just like expanding at this ridiculously rapid rate and then half the people you talk to don't even utilize 30% of the tools that they spend thousands of dollars a year on buying. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I, I don't think we're close yet and I think a huge part of it is not just who owns it but who's responsible for implementing it and for making sure that all these systems talk to each other. I have to say that I think in most places really struggle with like, you know, everything's put together with bubble gum and spit, you know, and they're just trying to figure it out. So I think, yeah, I don't think we're there yet. And I think that if I were hiring in a hospital marketing department right now, I'd be looking for data analysts. I think that's the number one position they really have to fill if they're going to continue to prove to the CFO that they're worth the money that they invest in them.
4: They need good tools to do that.
2: <laughs> That's right.
4: yeah, yeah. But no yeah. more than they already have. <laughs> <laughs> this, this is
0: a
5: theme that I'm, I, I, new tool, the that
3: I'm hearing over and over. As, a, as in my new role as consultant, I've been talking to hospitals, mm-hmm. and they say we we know we need a CRM, and I'll say great. Tell me what the staffing is going to be and who's the talent you're going right. to bring in. Well, right now we're focused on buying the CRM. I mean, this capital project, we need to get that thing and i say unless you have at least one or two dedicated people that live and breathe the crm save your money do something else with it and that's a that's a that's a conversation that's happening over and over again and it's uh uh, I think I think uh, you're right. It's uh, We have lots of tools. They're not being uh, utilized. And, and they're it's not the school- very good. Yeah.
5: I mean, to, to, be, to be fair to the new... <laughs> Tell to, us how you really to the, Well, to, to be fair to the new tool makers, um, <laughs> they wouldn't be creating... I shouldn't say... This is the blanket statement. it certainly doesn't apply to all of them. Uh, but they wouldn't be creating uh, these new tools... If there wasn't some demand for these new tools, sure. um, and in part because a lot of the old tools suck, <laughs> they're awful, and, um, and we could name names, but there are no shots here to do when I name the names, right. so will <laughs> <laughs> talk about that later. Uh, but the, um, I haven't seen, for instance, a healthcare CRM platform that exists right now. Um, that does all the things we need to do to get to that individualized uh, future um, where that that a consumer um, would want us to be. That doesn't mean that you couldn't better use the ones that you have. sure made, sure right no there. doubt I don't I don't know that anybody's even using their tools correctly now. Um, but I know from from our perspective, uh, everyone that's out there now is not good enough, which is why we're building one now. It is it is not a new tool. it's an existing company. Um, that it's going to be new to us. So I think that um, I have a tolerance for new tools and new tool creation only because um, as our industry matures and becomes um, a little bit more um, right experienced with approaching consumers in, in, in ways that are relevant to them, we may need to adopt well, we have some a things cat. out. But <laughs> I mean, you guys are entirely right about the way we use existing and the money that we waste. Well, don't you tools. think it's, it's because there's nobody to say, why
0: are we still using this? Well, I, I because think you have the shiny object piece, plus you're not buying them all at the same time, right? So you're buying this one and then two years later you buy this other thing all of a sudden you look at it you have 13
5: pieces of software. I feel like there's a of, lack of clarity in the, in the strategy. I think the um, uh, new tools are, are a part of the, the shiny object syndrome all over, including strategies. And so people get they they move around all the time. So I want to go do this thing, and oh hey service line marketing, and oh that sucks, and oh big brands, and then oh no let's do that do that anymore. It's a, and some of it is is a some of it's a lack of conviction, but a lot of it is the changing demands of their executives. It's um, it, there's a it, changing of executives. Well that's the same thing, right? <laughs> it gets complicated. I just like to use. Them cool new shit, I you? know you <laughs> know. <laughs> sitting inside Who the does the
0: Maybe we should all just go build a healthcare
2: yeah. well, CRM.
0: <laughs> so we've we talked a lot about technology. <laughs> uh, so talking about technology and some of this and as it relates to patient experience, you know, we talked about, you know, the clinical piece, they feel like they own this piece of the experience. So wh- where practically does the patient experience start and stop? Can
3: I draw you a map? Yeah. So it can it I starts,
2: ex- can I give I mean, an example? Of, oh,
3: I'm sorry. It's, it starts the I, first I, time they do a, a, a they need something and they do a Google search, where they go onto Facebook and they say, "I've, I've been told I need a, a knee replacement. Who uh, are my friends have had a knee replacement?
4: Where did you go?" That's that's where the patient experience starts. I, I think it, may it even starts start with where, a I was say I think it starts where the patient decides it starts. Yeah. It's not we okay. don't get to define that. That's a great point. Yeah. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah, I mean, the minute another mother tells me about her experience at the children's hospital in my city, that's an experience that started for me, even though I have no need for any healthcare at that point.
5: Mm -hmm. But if we're trying to be a, if we're trying to draw a picture. For people who are listening, yeah, that's really that hard to rain. market to. Right.
3: <laughs> um,
4: that was my point. we wanted on yeah. a PowerPoint. but I think that's that's the, that's the, the issue is whiteboard. that <laughs> I don't think we can we can define or create the patient experience. I think we get to participate in the patient experience. Okay, so we have to be we have to be there when that patient experience starts, while it's happening, and when it when it if it ends, right? And we have to make sure we're at all of those different touch points, which. It's pretty overwhelming, um, because it's hard to, to spread our resources that thin, but I think that's the demand now, that we have to be there across that whole continuum.
2: Yeah, I'd like to share a personal story about that. Um, I recently went through a health issue, and I went to a couple of different doctors to get some opinions, because nobody could figure it out. And finally, they did, but I was at a big academic medical center, and they gave me four printed pages to fill out my name my birth date my weight my height what medications i'm on and i go in to see the nurse who takes my blood pressure before i see the doctor and she goes okay so i see here according to our emr that you're this is your name this is your birth date this is your height and weight this is And so now my patient experience has been affected by the fact that they're using these forms to get information that they already have. Like, why isn't there an iPad in the waiting room that I can fill out?
5: (coughs) Why isn't there just something you can look at and go, "Yeah, look at that. Exactly, and so
2: who owns that? So Um, marketing doesn't touch that at all, you know? So so now my patient experience is Mm -hmm. like, are you kidding me, people? Like, you're (laughs) doing the most phenomenal tests and clinical trials. But why does
4: marketing have to own that or fix it? Why can't the group that does that just get better at doing it. But right? that's exactly
2: my point. Yeah. So yeah. when we talked <laughs> earlier about who owns patient everyone experience, should just be better. everyone <laughs> needs to own it. What are you trying to do just here? Just
4: do a job better.
1: OK, but or OK, so, out a job. so we're talking stuff. about like, you know, like you're at the beginning of your patient experience, <laughs> but we also in this, we hear it everywhere in this conference too, right, about the feedback. How are we getting <laughs> feedback? How are how are we using that feedback to better the patient experience? And I know we've done a whole podcast episode on that matter, yeah. um, but let's talk about that. I want to. I want to. I think that's a good important piece here. How are we using feedback?
3: Well, pretty much we're not. I mean, we're doing the HCAP surveys, and then that data is collected, and maybe we see it a month later or two months later. Um, but the 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 place it has to happen is continuous, ongoing touch points to get feedback, whether it's uh, you know. It happens when you make have that first encounter. As you're leaving, there's a text alert. Um, you just, you just mm-hmm. left. How did everything go? Uh, and then those kind of follow ups So it's gotta be real time, and it's gotta be something that's actionable. Mm-hmm. And something that if you see a problem,
5: you've got the processes in place to jump on it and solve it in real time. Part of it relates to how you intend to use the information if it is strictly for performance improvement super you um, uh, there are there are uh, yeah. restrictions unfortunately on how quickly we can survey anybody um, if we intend to send them an HCAP survey the federal government frowns on us sending them a survey before that one gets to them um, however I think of it more as and, and, and admittedly I'm a, a kind of a um, one trick pony as it relates to consumers I think more about the information that other consumers need in order to choose us, mm-hmm. and ha- we're not collecting that at all right now. We're not. We're not really collecting uh, consumer-reported outcomes in a way that makes it easy for us to surface those to new to people who are in the middle of making a decision. Um, we're not serving them at the right times. We're. If you rely on press gainy, that's all I'll say, then <laughs> the you bottle. are. You're getting. <laughs> you're getting in some instances shit back um, in terms of the quality of information when I need more than just a question that says to a customer uh, how is your ease of scheduling like very good good fair poor I I think I need a little bit more information if I'm going to improve right also but also if I'm going to surface information to Mm -hmm. the next consumer about what it's like to schedule in this office what are the wait times in this office Mm -hmm. there are things that we're that we're not using that we could Um, I don't know if it's fear or um, if it's the tools and if we need a new tool Uh, (laughs) I think we may need a new tool for that. time like
2: we need a (laughs) a new tool
0: anti-tool people All right. so along those lines so how how should marketing leaders approach transparency so we're talking about feedback so where do we
4: it's going to be start with the king I, I would say first just embrace it and, and anything that you can get from a data standpoint that you can get permission to push out, you should push it out. I, I, I think that what I find kind of kind of a little amusing about the, the resistance to putting data out and, and being transparent mm-hmm. is we're all reporting data anyway. We report data, I mean, we report so much data mm-hmm. um, to the government on a daily basis. It, it's like overwhelming. Yet we wait for that same data then to be put out on third-party sites six months later. It it's, it's a year old. We have the new data that day and we're afraid to put it out. It's, it's coming back at some point. And so, so the idea of not reporting it just seems kind of silly to me. Mm-hmm. Um, where, you know, we can tell our own story and we can do that on a, on a consistent basis and own it. So, I mean, from a from a transparency point, I think it's everything. Put it all on the table.
2: What okay. we find fascinating is that when we talk to our clients and we ask them, what are the top five questions people have about whatever it is that we're writing about? and they have, they know the questions and they know the answers. And then we ask them, well, where are the answers on your website or in your content right now? And it's buried 10 levels down. And we're like, wait, these are the top five questions people want to answer and you it 10 levels down. Do you see the disconnect? No, we don't want to tell people the truth. Hmm. Okay, well, they're going to find it out anyway. And I think in marketing, particularly in healthcare marketing, where resources are limited, I think we have to really start thinking about qualifying leads. If we tell people the truth about our organization, and they still want to come to us, then that's a consumer that's going to be loyal. And I think lying to people is the worst thing you can do, because then when they actually have the real in-time patient experience, they're like... The, the outrage that they have is going to get spread on social media and is going to affect your stars. Where if you say, "Listen, the average wait time in this office is 30 minutes. We do everything that we can, but please be aware emergencies arise." You've now set expectations. So if they're 20 minutes late, you're a god. And I just, I agree with Brian and probably everybody on this panel. Stop hiding your elephants because it's just hurting you.
1: <laughs> well, with that, why don't we why don't we wrap up this conversation here? Because what we want to do is we want to move to the next segment. Touch point, touch, counterpoint. There are two sides to every story. Ready, fight! The next segment is a segment we call the touch point, touch counterpoint. And I think Reed and I have a very good topic. So... Um, what we do in this segment, just so you guys know, is because we know that these issues are pretty controversial sometimes, right? I suppose. And in um, <laughs> the hallowed halls of our, of our health institutions, that um, we often hear two different sides to an argument. It could be multiple different sides to an argument. And so what Reed and I have introduced into our podcast is this section where we take a debatable topic And we put it out there on the table, and then we ask the people that are, well, it's usually Reed and I who argue, but today we're going to ask all of you to do a little bit of a...
5: Or (laughs) argue.
1: You can all argue with each other. Um, We'll take this topic, and it's sort of like loosely, wouldn't you say read loosely based on debate style tactics?
0: Yeah, I mean, the idea is that obviously these are polar opposites, and the truth probably resides in the middle somewhere, but it's more fun to argue the polar opposites, so... Yeah so that's what we're going to do so for the next like maybe
1: uh, 10 minutes if if we can make sure to keep our argument at 10 minutes sometimes they go longer <laughs> we're going to argue this topic and um, the polar opposites of this topic and any of you can weigh in on either end it's if you guys all choose one side it doesn't matter because um, Reed and I will opposite, uh, argue the opposite um, did you want
0: to yeah so uh, we're talking about feedback so this has to do with feedback and so the idea being that Feedback is worthless because actually all you're getting is is the one-sided arguments. All you're getting is ones and fives. Nobody's going to give you a three or a four or a two. So it's either just the advocate that already likes you or people that just complain all the time. So there's really no point in taking into account consumer feedback. What do you guys think? Consumer
1: feedback, transparency, it's all hogwash.
2: We should just go to NPS, I think that's the most important thing we care about is would you refer this hospital to a friend loved one enemy and then and then you get back your nps and it's one number it's very simple survey monkey will calculate it for you as well all these fabulous tools <laughs> and, and then,
3: <laughs> <laughs> and
2: so yeah i mean i think these in-depth surveys sometimes just don't really give us the information i mean even needed.
3: even netflix has dropped the five star rating Mm-hmm. And now it's either thumbs up or thumbs down. It's binary. So it's worthless. It's worthless. So but I'm here cut. too
1: worthless. How are we doing around the table here? Feedback worthless? Yeah, totally worthless. I mean, Why I can I thought, argue either side of yeah. this. Well, you,
5: I then I should. Good. Yes.
2: Uh. <laughs> <laughs> argue okay. both sides, Matt. I'm, I'm going
5: to go with the. I'm going to go with the pro feedback. We should we should be looking for more feedback, in, including mm-hmm. uh, asking each of the doctors, asking patients about what about what their doctors should do. Maybe the doctor should ask the patient while they're treating them. Mm-hmm. How does this feel? Mm-hmm. Does this look good? Should I cut here or should I cut there? <laughs> Maybe we haven't taken feedback to its logical end yet. <laughs> I was going to diagnose you with either a sinus infection or nose cancer. Which would you prefer? Sorry. Which which one? Will make you happier. What will make you happier, we'll Mister or Miss Customer? What will
2: make you refer us to your friend? Yeah, <laughs> exactly.
4: So, so I'm going to argue I'm, I'm that pro. it's not it's not worthless, and and because I to the end though. Well, because <laughs> because in the absence of what else, right? So we we complain that we we can't give patients enough information so if if that's what we can give them then that has value and they need patients need as many types of of data points as they can get to help make probably one of the most important decisions of their life right their care and so if that helps them not only make the decision but feel more comfortable and satisfied with their decision making then I think it has value, um, and I don't think... Which don't makes think it even, even worse, because
0: they're only getting ones and fives. That's right, Brian. Right? I mean, I, I've been to these
1: transparency sites <laughs> yeah, on some, some of the ones that you guys even manage, and they're all fives.
3: They're all
5: fives. What, so what value no, is that no, to let let me? me? You, I, it's <laughs> my fault that my doctors are awesome. That's
4: right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I mean... Sorry. But are we arguing that yeah. doctors aren't that good? Maybe people really are having that good of an experience. Look, Maybe I'm not, saying, I'm not
1: saying doctors aren't that yeah. good. I mean, they're probably really good, but they're not you all five-star doctors. doctors. Yeah. Come on, let's be honest, Well, right? they're, they're, not, they're not five-star. They're they're really you're talking about, about the feedback star.
2: online and feedback that you pull into the marketing department through reporting, right? Not just feedback online. But,
4: but take take it out of healthcare for a second. If you go to Amazon, there's there's not a lot of threes. Right. There's not a lot of twos. It's either it's a crap product or it's an awesome product. That's right. And, and so... That's the that's so the same thing in our, healthcare. Mm-hmm. Is that people want to know, do I want to go to this doctor or do I not want to go to this doctor? And if that right. if that rating helps validate the decision, but it's they not. They don't make yeah. it. So yeah. I I would I have something even more dastardly to say.
5: Uh, the the, uh, the patients. <laughs> Don't actually make their decision based on the star rating on your website. No, they Doesn't. make it based on insurance. They make right. it based Doesn't on mean referrals. That kind of valuable so mean, yeah. information for people to have yeah. and look at as they're making a decision. Um, but that's not the thing that started, that gets them to make a decision right. any more than the five star rating mm-hmm. on that microphone that you bought from Amazon was was the reason you bought it. Well, right? I
3: think it's it's valid- the data shows it helps that when they look at when they've talked to people who. are... Or looking at the physician profiles with the star ratings and everything, uh, there was one hospital that had the software set up so they could see where people were scanning down or where their mouse was moving. They blow past the ratings and they go right to the comments. Sure. Okay. And that's where you can actually hear the voice of a patient who dealt with this doctor, telling you what the experience was like. And that's not binary. There's going to be some good. There's going to be some bad. You're going to get the note. They're they're going to present a, a you know a picture of what the dealing with this doctor is like. And then you're going to use that to say, does this feel like a good fit for me? Okay.
1: But even Amazon and Yelp, what they do is they promote the really good ratings <laughs> or the really bad
3: ratings, or depending the same how they time. feel about
1: you. Right. right? So what good is that? I mean, what you're doing is you're, all you're reading is the really great stuff or the really bad stuff. Well, that's what I've seen on Amazon
3: isn't... is that they have both, so here's the most, here's the most helpful the positive, here, here's the most helpful negative.
2: What do you mean yeah. there are reviews on reviews? Was this review helpful to okay. you? <laughs> I mean, how crazy is that? Now there you go. More questions. I we should review that. I actually think healthcare is in a similar situation with the airlines. <laughs> we should send
5: 12 page surveys instead of six.
2: <laughs> no one's happy, everybody doesn't trust them, they've screwed you over, every single one of them on something, and that's I think how a lot of people feel about healthcare. Oh. Oh. They feel like, oh, maybe not at Piedmont. No. <laughs> in northern Georgia, everybody's happy as hell with their healthcare <laughs> oh. We're the most trusted brands in our markets.
5: So it, it, it they, those, those two things are somewhat incongruous. Well, that's
2: though. what I was going to say. I was going to say is that I think that patient experience is based on so many different things, but usually it revolves around your experience with the caregiver, right? In other words, like the patient forms can be annoying and the nursing staff can like not, you know, pinch your arm when they do the blood print, all of it. You could wait a long time. But if your doctor explains to you clearly what your care should look like and he or she spends the time really talking to you about it and really making you feel like you have a trusted partner, that's how you're going to feel. And so I think feedback, all the other things matter, but that about the physician provider I think is really the critical linchpin in the whole feedback process. And that is not based on data. So <laughs> I admit That's, that
1: fully. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Well, why don't we get? Why don't we start getting our audience yeah. involved and start asking or feeding in on this? Well, who, who's who got an opinion about this? Can you give us some feedback?
0: Or a question?
5: Yeah. Or or just what, a question. Would you read this a five star down. panel? Or a one star panel? Who's
1: got something to say? Come on. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> come on. Remember, we're 40 minutes in. Come on, well, I'm going to volunteer you. You're yeah. to talk all right. All, right, all right,
0: we'll talk
4: about feedback okay I think one issue and somebody mentioned it already is just the quality of the feedback I mean we're asking for crap right now We're asking for you know five star rating type information and that to me that reflects on do we
0: you know do we really want good information from consumers? We just want a five-star rating. We, 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 right? we just want a number. We just want a number. I mean, number. this is like it's like when you buy the car and the guy's like, look, you're going to get a survey, but if you don't give me tens, I'll Yeah, fired. I, I need tens. So, I right. yeah. need tens. You know,
5: they can't yeah. fire me.
0: <laughs> I bought the car. Do you car. agree?
2: <laughs> I do, and when they ask that, I just roll my eyes. But I do on Amazon scan through and actually look at the content for value. But in, in my industry, I promote conferences. And the number one reason for attending is that they heard from their colleague that it was a good conference based on the content. So that is like a non-formal way of feedback. So it's valuable, but it's not necessarily through a five-star yeah, rating. A That's why NPS is so valuable, because it's just one number about would you refer somebody, the net promoter score. Yes, net promoter score. Yeah.
5: Right. So the only thing I'll add to the fives and ones is... The fives give us a chance, right? <laughs> if we got the one, I don't give a shit what's in the comments. They're not going to the one-star doctor. Nobody goes to the one-star It doctor.
2: all averages out in the end. right? I, I, I will admit I'm jaded because I grew up with health grades a little
4: bit, but did you live or did you die when you went to the hospital being part of the rating from the standpoint of mortality ratings? Yes, I like. died. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I
2: mean, I'm answering right. this survey from heaven. Right. There's no surveys from those who've passed. Right. So,
4: you know, that's it, why our scores are so high.
2: Right?
4: <laughs> <laughs> but, but so, so I'll, I'm going to argue back on the other side again. So it, we we talked earlier about this issue about the, of complexity of, of healthcare and how difficult we make it for everyone. And now we're saying that we should make it more complex and we should get more information. I mean that's kind of what I'm hearing. Mm-hmm. Where everybody understands one through five. You know, I mean it. While it may not be like completely transformative in terms of what it gives you in terms of data about this provider. It gives you a starting point and it gives you more than you've had before. Yes. And people, people, it's amazing. I mean, people make healthcare decisions based on well bob told me to go there mm-hmm. right yeah. so is that any better than that's more trusted than, right? than your star. i know yeah. so so yeah. and so we're arguing about something that actually tries to be data driven mm-hmm. and and whether or not that's valuable so i think it's a step in the right direction but the, the real question is as as we do get more transparent because i think we are going to be get, getting more transparent how do you distill down all of that data so that it's con, it's consumer Kind of consumable yes. right oh, because that's really that's the hard part yeah. people don't understand healthcare okay one more question
1: from back here
2: so getting back to this idea of you know how do you use this to make yourselves better right the five star the doctor rating thing is really not so much not as much about the doctor as it's about the entire office experience so you know you could have that nasty person who sits at the front desk that totally sets your tone for the whole business mm-hmm. so what are you doing then if you're, the, if you're the provider in that office, what are you doing then to use that kind of information to make your office environment better? I mean, how are you using the data to improve what you're doing, rather than saying, I'm a one-star, I'm a five-star?
3: Well, you this, the CEO at the University of Utah, where they were the first hospital to do the physician transparency, uh, talked about how they, uh, they had data coming in after they started publishing and had data coming in and they basically targeted the doctors who were in the, who were getting low marks and worked extensively with their office and with the physician. And they saw those, those, those ratings raise. And in fact, overall, they saw a significant improvement in the overall ratings that were being submitted in year two, three, and four uh, from, uh, from the patients. So uh, I think that feedback loop is there. And it's a matter of how well will the hospital exploit it.
0: And I think that's where the comments not yeah, just the just ratings the comments, come yeah. into play cause yeah, that's right. when you get the thematic piece yeah, of it and you can start certainly. looking for those
5: areas of improvement so. yeah I think uh, one last thing on ratings on press candy, on surveys on all of that um, it is hilarious to me that we constantly ra- measure ourselves against other health systems and the quality of care uh, quality of service they provide given that as A has already said we're uniformly pretty bad Overall, at mm-hmm. service, and so it's like, hey, I'm the top of the worst. Look at me, I'm shit. And
2: so I did not exactly
5: uh, say that. I think, I think we're still that, still that, that we're still talking United before. Airlines. The point, well, there's no doubt, but the point. <laughs> I might we drag almost, you out of this room, we man. We almost the point all the way through without a United wow. Airlines. The, <laughs> the point of this is um NPS and and other measures that are used uh, across a broad set of industries and organizations. Um, are helpful if we ever want to see ourselves actually compete with the Starbucks, the Nordstrom's, the Amazon's, the Chick-fil-A's, the companies who have made experience a differentiator for themselves. As long as I continue to give a shit about what my Press Ganey percentile is, my percentile rank, um, then I'm losing. Because it's not important that I beat Emory in Atlanta. It's important that I beat Chick-fil-A um, because as these experiences <laughs> Uh, experience expectations are set by other organizations that consumers have interactions with and if we can't start to raise ourselves to that level I promise you as it already has uh, money is going to keep flowing into urgent cares and retail clinics and siphoning off all of our customers uh, and we're going to be stuck begging these people to send us the hospital cases that allow us to exist
0: We're getting close to the top of the hour, so we will wrap it up. The last thing we do each week is Chris and I recommend something. So we're going to ask Anything. each of you to recommend something from your lives. It doesn't have to be healthcare-related. It doesn't have to be digital. It does not have to. It can be. It can be, of you know. course. Yeah. So, okay, so. We, need, we need a recommendation. Why don't you start, reading? Me? What? No, I, I kick it off. So you start. <laughs>
1: Okay, I'm going to make a recommendation. Um, and my recommendation is going to be a TV show. Because I like to watch TV to unwind. It's just something I do. Um, and it's a show I'm really anticipating It's coming out pretty soon. I was a big fan of Twin Peaks way back when, in the 90s. And it's coming back to Showtime. I've been really jazzed, amped up. And what's cool about this time, this release on Showtime, is first of all, it's Showtime, so that means it's probably not going to, you know... Um, and the original... Uh, original guys, um, <laughs> <laughs> David Lynch. Well, you know they're not going to censor it, <laughs> what right? Does that mean? Yeah. David Lynch can be David, David Lynch. David Lynch can be David Lynch, <laughs> and Mark Frost is going to be involved. There's there's 18 episodes, which both scares me and also excites me. And there's been a huge ramp up of like podcasts and people online getting excited about it, and the way that Showtime is actually kind of releasing it and promoting it, it just is making me an avid fan, user, whatever. It's just making me more and more excited. So, Twin Peaks is my recommendation this week. Awesome. Uh,
5: okay, so uh, I have a six-year-old and a four-year-old, but he doesn't count this time. So, the six-year-old, I um, <laughs> <laughs> got this got this puzzle game called Canoodle.
4: Oh,
5: oh yeah, and it's so amazing. Fun. So, if you're old like me and you need to keep your brain working so that you don't get Alzheimer's, <laughs> um, you should buy this game Canoodle. Uh-huh. Uh, it's so they have these. Uh, these differently shaped pieces um, and and they all fit in there in, in strange That's ways it. and and they give you a, a pattern and you'll fill in part of it and then you have to take the rest of the pieces and make them work and then once you finish all of the 2d puzzles they actually stack up to make a pyramid so then you have to do 3d puzzles with nice. the same things, the things. it's nice. bananas and I'll uh, as a sort of bonus recommendation uh, about a month ago <laughs> <laughs> I decided I needed to um, learn how to solve a Rubik's
2: Cube.
5: And then the Easter Bunny brought me one. How about that? Friendly bunny. Wait, are we
2: giving gifts on Easter now?
5: Uh, Well, no, the Easter Bunny brought me one. Thank you. We believe in the Easter Bunny in my house. And, um, And I learned how to solve it amazing using YouTube right now
0: Rubik's Cube uh, no, no
5: using the not YouTube but a, a, a page that helps you see the formulas and then you start to work with it. I can
4: now solve it without referring back to the page
2: that's awesome
4: oh. nice puzzles Brian um, I, I have this list of marketing tools that I'd like to kind of, it's alphabetical I'd like to go through it slowly with all of you um, no this mine's, mine's pretty uh, so I have a nine-year-old son, and um, he's really amped up all the time. And I've, you guys seen these fidget spinners? Fidget, yeah. oh, That's like my kids, the new thing. Yeah. 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 Do you have one? It's. I mean, he has. It, one. it works. Has Let me one. tell you, I. Each of my got, kids have one. Yeah, it's yeah. fantastic. Should I know. And get one? apparently, totally. so apparently the mom that invented it has made zero dollars mm-hmm. off of That's the device. It. She she did not. It's for um, kids. It was, originally, device, so it was
2: originally for that. kids with ADHD, yeah. but yeah. everybody apparently has it now, so yeah. everybody loves them. Yeah. And it's going to be fantastic. You just sit there. They are getting banned. as well. Fidget spinner. Fidget yeah.
4: spinner,
3: so yeah. that's my recommendation. You
2: heard it here first. to yeah.
3: Well, my recommendation isn't as fun as the puzzles and the fidget spinners. Uh, it's a book I read about 10 years ago that I still sort of refer back to and think about every every now and then. It's called The Victorian Internet and it's a story of the invention of the telegraph machine and the social implications it had where people that were distances apart could instantly communicate with each other and if you think the internet was a huge change for society it was nothing compared to the change that that had of instantaneous communication back in the late 1800s and there's so many stories in there that map almost exactly to the kind of things that we did with the internet like where telegraph uh, people were starting, you know, had started having chats between each other nice. in, in downtime, and a whole, and there was there was a marriage that happened between two telegraph operators who had never met in person, but they had talked to each other through the telegraph. So great book and uh, wow. definitely worth a read. There you go.
2: So Victoria, I'm going to recommend an section. app called Victoria Calm. Tinder. It's a Victoria meditation Tinder. app, yeah. and um, you. So I try to meditate every day, but I'm not as committed to it as I should be. But um, it's a great app. They have all different kinds of, like, seven-day meditation classes on how to be happier, how to have better self-esteem, or how to learn to meditate. And um, it has all these really nice sounds, too, like rain and the beach. And um, it's like taking a shower for your brain. I just feel like it just makes you feel shower like...
0: Shower for your
1: brain. I like that. I like for that. Your brain. Yeah. I like yeah. that. That could almost be the name of this podcast.
2: Yeah. <laughs> actually, we're trying to put more information into people's brains. <laughs> oh, that's
0: a great line. Like a
5: shower for your brain. <laughs> that's
0: right. Uh, I'm going to recommend. Uh, so I like I like bags for laptops and all that stuff. And I actually found one that I keep going back to by Topo Designs. And so the best part about it, and they make backpacks and all kinds of stuff. Yeah, I've got it over here. But the inside is like bright yellow, so I can actually find stuff in it, oh, like yeah. cables and pins and cords and stuff. It's Very not right black in. like most of them are. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it's, uh, it's pretty awesome. So you can wear it as a backpack or as a messenger bag. So it's topo Topo you. Designs. Thank topo make Designs. Make designs. Mm-hmm. So All, backpack.
1: Right. Backpack. All right. That's right. Good. Well Wow Reed, we made it to the end of this uh, live recording here. Yes. And we only, only lost 20 people in from the Press
5: audience. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> good, so take it back to your overlords. <laughs>
0: uh, okay, well, all right. why, why don't we thank all of our guests today? Yes. Thank you to Matt, Brian, Ed, Ahava. And we'll have links to them in the show notes on the best way to track them down online if you so choose.
1: All right, Reed. Well, um, here we are at the end of our podcast, and it was I think it was a pretty good one. So it was awesome. We should do this more often. We should do this more often. Thank you so much, everybody. Yeah. Thank you to the great audience with the questions, yeah. the input, and for putting up with our crazy sometimes ideas. That's right. For the uh, shower for our brain. <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: yeah. Yeah. So um, he's Reed Smith. He's Chris Boyer. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next week.
1: I didn't record any of that. Just kidding. (laughs)
0: I'm just kidding. (laughs)